The actor Martin Sheen is probably best known for playing the role of President Bartlett in the popular TV series, The West Wing. After playing roles in films like Apocalypse Now and Gandhi, Martin Sheen said he went through a crisis in midlife. He felt deep insecurities, he had this volatile anger. He began to abuse alcohol and as a result, he almost lost his marriage and his family. While Martin Sheen was working in France, his mentor, Terence Malick, gave him a copy of the great novel, The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And as he was reading The Brothers K, Martin Sheen said that he was awakened to a longing to live an honest and free life in God's presence. One day, Sheen walked over to a little Catholic church and he sat in one of the pews and he began to pray. And he says of that moment of coming back to God that it was the single most joyful moment of my life because I knew I had come home to myself. He said, this satisfaction has lasted all these years. I'm still on the honeymoon. What I long for, and I think all of us really long for, is knowing that we are loved, that despite ourselves, we are loved. So Sheen's experience of being found by God and experiencing a love that he could not earn helped him to overcome his deep insecurities, laid a foundation in his life for lifelong joy, and then propelled him into a life of justice and service for others. The neuroscientist Alex Korb has said, we can experience mixed emotions, but we can't focus on positive and negative emotions at the same time. And so if we are focused on the experience of joy, we cannot at the same time focus on shame. We're concluding our sermon series on becoming our true self today. And as we do that, we're going to explore how we can choose joy. And when we choose joy, we will find ourselves freer from toxic shame. Now, if your lows feel especially low and long, meaning more than several weeks, going on into months, it may be that you are suffering from depression. And it can be helpful to talk to a physician, a counselor, a pastor, or a spiritual director to understand some of the physiological, relational, psychological, and spiritual dynamics of, of what you're going through. And I have found it helpful to talk to these professionals in my own journey, I found it beneficial. In Philippians chapter four, verse four, we read these words in scripture. The apostle Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then Paul writes something similar in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
Living God, we pray that this day we would be guided by your word, that we would be illuminated and energized by your spirit so that we might be able to receive the joy that you have on offer for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So the Apostle Paul here writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The book of Philippians is a book that just pulsates with joy. Paul uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times. And it's not like he is writing this letter that's now part of scripture from some luxurious resort on the Mediterranean overlooking the ocean or on a sailboat. He is writing this letter from prison where he is awaiting to stand trial before Caesar. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die, but he is not this anxious, nervous wreck because he is choosing to rejoice. Now, the Apostle Paul was raised as a devout Jew. And so growing up and throughout his lifetime, year after year, he would have attended festivals and participated in feasts like the Feast of Tabernacles, where he and his fellow Jewish people would live in tents for about a week so that they would be reminded of how God had freed their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, led them through the desert where they were living in tents, and hence living in tents for for that week, and guided them into the promised land. In fact, scholars tell us that in Paul's first century world, one in three of their days may have been one of these festival days. So they had plenty of opportunities to celebrate God's goodness in their lives with good food and with sweet drinks. Now, we may not have a festival or a holy day or a holiday uh, once every three days, but we can establish rhythms of giving thanks as well. I've shared with some of you that on my Sabbath day, I love taking a long walk with our golden retriever, Sasha, through a forest or along the beach And as I'm walking, I begin to give thanks for God's gifts in my life up until now. And I always begin with thanking God for the sheer and simple gift of being alive, which which I can take for granted, and and maybe you can too. It it is a gift uh, to simply be alive. The writer David Cain in the summer of 2018, attended an event in the Greek town district of Toronto. He was checking out some of the the shops and the restaurants. He took time to uh, tie a shoe in front of a church. And and, and he continued walking down uh, Danforth Avenue. Some of you have been on Danforth Avenue there in Toronto. And this is what he said. I stopped in front of a church to tie my shoe I remember being nervous about meeting a bunch of new people. Then two weeks later, on that same part of the street, a deranged man shot 14 people, killing two of them. David Kane pointed out, this had not been a narrow escape on his part. Thousands of people walked down Danforth Avenue every day, and it wasn't like he had just missed the shooting. Still, David Kane had this sense that it could have been him 
and it was not him. And so this caused him to have a different way of seeing things. He said, when I watched the videos of eyewitness accounts, including some in front of the church where I had tied my shoes and the corner where I had nervously waited, it gave me a vital bit of perspective. I happen to be alive. I happen to be alive. And he saw his existence as a great gift. Similarly, someone named Jeff, an environmental consultant, experienced, um, well, he, he didn't experience it himself, but he um, had a, a colleague named David who um, had a, a sudden and unexpected premature death. And Jeff was, was driving uh, one day and he found himself stuck in rush hour traffic and he was clenching the steering wheel, really irritated and angry. But then he thought, what would my colleague David have given to be stuck in rush hour traffic right now? What would he have given to have been able to have this experience? And Jeff thought, wow, it's just such a gift to be alive, to be alive and to be able to face this terrible rush hour traffic. And we can cultivate rhythms where we give thanks for the gift of life itself and the gifts that God has given us at the beginning of a week, at the end of a day as we look back and thank God for maybe two or three or four gifts that we feel that um, have been bestowed on us in that day. So giving thanks is a way that we can choose joy. Another way we can choose joy is to embrace what makes us come alive. In the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, we see that Nehemiah is with his people, with the Jewish people, after they have been in exile for, for many years and then rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And then Ezra, the, the, the priest, stands up and, and reads the scriptures. It's the first time they've heard the scriptures read in, in, in many years. And God's people realize that they have strayed from their creator. They're feeling a sense of grief about that, wanting to turn back to God. And Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 8, verse 10 says, Go and enjoy choice food and drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared and send some uh, to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Nehemiah here is encouraging his people to eat choice food, good food, delicious food, and to drink sweet drinks and to experience through these the, the joy of the Lord. So let me ask you, are there any activities in your life that you can pursue on a regular basis that make you feel alive, that can help you experience joy in the Lord? The church father Irenaeus said the glory of a human being uh, is, uh, uh, the, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. For some of you, it might be, as Nehemiah thought, uh, eating really good food or drinking your favorite drink uh, as, as, a, as a way to experience joy. Uh, for some of us, uh, myself included, uh, we experience joy when we're running through a forest trail or outside, maybe on the water. Uh, you know, some of you are saying, um, 
running through a forest trail sounds like torture to me, so it's different for different people. Uh, For others, um, listening to beautiful music or playing music in a jam session really uplifts them. Some find that when they are lost and captivated with a novel or a movie, that they, they feel this sense of happiness. Others find that when they are with someone they love, someone really special to them, they experience this surge of joy. Embrace those things that bring you life and choose joy. And even if the activity doesn't seem to be overtly religious, if something makes you come alive over time, it is a spiritual practice. And the practice might be overtly religious as well. Um, As I mentioned earlier, after a run and a swim and meditation, uh, I, I feel this sense of wonder, this sense of energy. It it is typically the favorite time of my day. Uh, Craig was mentioning dedications after the pandemic. As people have come back to in-person worship, they've they've been saying uh, uh, to me, uh, there's something different about being here in person than viewing the service online. Uh, There there is a different kind of experience, a, a joy that I didn't know otherwise. So we can choose joy by giving thanks by embracing the things that give us life. And we can also choose joy through service. Some of you may remember Ken Nixon, if you've been a longtime member. Ken Nixon has had a longtime connection to our faith community. Uh, Yeah, some of you know him, so I I can tell over here. Uh, Ken, uh, a few years ago, had a stroke, and so he's now living in an extended care facility uh, called Brock Farney. He's um, in his mid-90s. He, uh, for a number of years, was an an administrator for the Department of of Education uh, in the province of Alberta. He was also uh, teaching at UBC for a little while. And after retirement, as some of you may know, uh, he just sort of organically became my volunteer assistant for about 20 years. (laughs) Just just, just, just 20 years. Uh, And... uh, he was very involved in serving in this community in his neighborhood. And he would sometimes tell me, you know, these years uh, where I'm, I'm serving like this um, have been the most joyous years of my life and the most spiritually vibrant. And there's something about serving, using our gifts, that, um, yeah, it can, it can be work, but it can also be an occasion of, for joy. And so we can choose joy by giving thanks, embracing the things that bring us life, and through service. Someone in our, in our community here emailed me uh, this message, and uh, with her permission, I am going to read an excerpt of it uh, to you. So she's part of our faith community here in Mount Pleasant. And she writes, I have been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder since 2020, when I was suicidal and hospitalized for a total of eight months. Words cannot describe the suffering my family and I went through that year. It is nothing short of miraculous when I came back to myself after the eighth out of 12 rounds of electroconvulsive therapy. It was the psychiatrist's final resort when I was non-responsive to the host of medications they had available. My 
illness by its very name is the antithesis of joy. But by God's grace, the common grace of medications, counseling, and my family and friends, I have been relatively stable for the past three years. There are times when I lapse into days of emotional colorlessness, where I dread and wonder if it is my illness being stronger than my medications. God's timing is impeccable. It was during one such season I came across chapter 10 of your book on choosing joy, and now I become myself. I sensed God speaking to me the moment I read the opening quote by Henry Nouwen. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. This gave me hope and newfound agency. I have a choice in this. So how have I been engaging in this practice of choosing joy? One thing I have been doing is to start my day by listening to Pray As You Go, which is an app that I also use that includes some scripture and some music. While driving to work, sometimes the lyrics of the opening song or the featured scriptures remind me of how God is present in my life, how there is hope, and that I am not going through life alone. Another practice I have is to reject emotional thoughts that are not based upon fact or truth. I compare what my emotional mind is saying with what my wise mind is saying. I am choosing to reject emotional counterfactual thinking. For example, she walked past me without saying hello. She must not like me. Wise thinking in contrast. She walked past me without saying hello. Maybe she didn't see me or her mind was occupied with something. I have learned that counterfactual thinking that causes unnecessary stress or anxiety is a joy thief. Recently, I have been building my gratitude muscles whenever I start to compare myself with others. I find that going outside into nature widens my world and perspective. As I am outdoors in the fresh air, I am reminded of the loving care, creativity, and beauty of Christ. I begin to thank him for being with me, for my family, for my friends, for freedom, for food, etc. And as I thank him, my spirit is lifted. And so for this person, this woman in our community, um, she is choosing joy. And joy isn't something that just happens to us like, you know, catching the flu or COVID or something. It is something that we can choose. She's choosing joy by cultivating this practice of giving thanks, by doing things, embracing things that bring her life, scripture, listening to Pray As You Go, the music, embracing the beauty of the outdoors. And she doesn't write it in, in this message to me, but I know that she's also very active in serving in this community and probably elsewhere as well. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he says rejoice or experience joy, isn't saying that we need to be in an up-up mood all the time. I have not been in an up-up mood all the time. The ancient Greeks did not believe that the purpose of life was to be happy in the sense of being in an up-up mood all the time. They believed that the purpose of life was to experience something called eudaimonia, which can be translated fulfillment or joyful fulfillment, which is very close to the biblical concept of joy. Now, if you think about it, there are a number of tasks in life that can feel very demanding and sometimes 
even difficult and painful, such as maintaining a relationship, raising children. We had a lot of children in the front today. Some of you know about that. Pursuing a course of study, cultivating a profession or craft. These can be demanding, difficult, and at times painful experiences, and yet they can also be meaningful and fulfilling and give us moments of gratitude and joy. And even when we are suffering, though we may not be thankful for the suffering in and of itself, we can experience gratitude when we know that God somehow is taking every part of our life and working them for our good, as Paul talks about in Romans 8. And that good means to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. And so this is why the apostle Paul can say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, our hearts ache, but we always feel joy. Did I read that correctly? Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. It seems like a contradiction in terms. Aching heart, joy. But we can have an aching heart and still experience joy, the joy of gratitude, when we know that that ache is somehow shaping us into the person that God is calling us to become. The late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, in the Book of Joy, said this. Nelson Mandela went to jail when he was young and you could almost say bloodthirsty. He was the head of the armed wing of the African National Congress's party. He spent 27 years in jail on Robben Island and many would say, 27 years? Oh, what a waste. And I think people are surprised when I say, no, the 27 years were necessary. They were necessary to remove the dross. The suffering in prison helped Nelson Mandela become more magnanimous, willing to listen to the other side, to discover that the people he regarded as his enemy, they too were human beings who had fears and expectations, and they had been molded by their society. And so what, without the 27 years, I don't think we would have seen the Nelson Mandela with the compassion, magnanimity, and the capacity to put himself in the shoes of the other. In an extraordinary way, his suffering helped him grow. And we would think, I mean, I, I've read uh, Nelson Mandela's um, autobiography, Long, is it Long Road to Freedom, and when I read that he had spent 27 years in prison, I also thought, what a waste. That's an awfully long time. But Desmond Tutu, his friend and colleague, is saying, no, it was necessary to shape him into the remarkable person that he became. 27 years sounds like an awfully long time to me. I've been here for 27 years. And it's gone by pretty quickly, but if I had spent those 27 years in prison, uh, I'm sure the time would have felt really slow. And yet God used that time in his life. And God can use the difficulty in our lives to shape us as well. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the psychiatrist who worked with the terminally ill and their families, observed this. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. 
These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. It's good, isn't it? Beautiful people are those who've known defeat, suffering, and struggle. Beautiful people do not just happen. And if we allow God to use the adversity and the suffering and the challenges of our life, to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, to achieve in us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs those hard times, then we can know joyful fulfillment. As we turn our face toward Jesus Christ and give thanks to him for his gifts in our life, not the least of which is his death on the cross, making it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And as we embrace those things that bring us life, as we serve, and as we realize that God can use the most difficult circumstances in our life to shape us into the masterpiece that we were created to be, then we can know joyful fulfillment more freedom from toxic shame, and we shall become our truest self as we radiate God's image into the world. Let's pray together. I'm gonna pray a part of scripture, just a brief part, it's an allusion to scripture. Um, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And if this prayer, which expresses my heart, expresses yours, you can pray it with me in your spirit. Living God, fill me with your spirit of love, joy, and peace. If that expresses your heart, you can just pray it in your heart. Living God, fill me with your spirit of love, joy, and peace. And then help me to become an instrument of your love, joy, and peace in the world. This expresses your heart. Pray it in your heart with me. And help me to become an instrument of your love, joy, and peace in the world. And may it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.